1: good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. This is the program called Crosswalk, where, again, we make every effort to ask and try to find answers to the questions that you care the most about. Questions about God, questions about the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible, uh, questions about worldviews and world religions. And so, again, the number to call is 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. I was looking at – this is, by the way, Tough Question Tuesday, like I said, where you get to ask the really hard questions. That doesn't mean I'm going to know the answer, but you do get to ask the really hard questions. And um, I was looking at – An interesting article, not by the bastion of conservatism, but it was an article that was posted at NPR. And the article basically is making reference to um, a digital currency. And so... The headline at NPR, which is National Public Radio, was the United States is considering a radical rethinking of the dollar for today's digital world. The article was posted just a couple of days ago. But in the past on this program, we've talked a little bit about the possibility of movement towards a digital dollar. What we didn't talk about is how that's going to happen. Or will it result in the disintegration of the modern dollar? And so there's a lot of discussion that's been going on in the world, but what they don't necessarily tell you about is some of the pitfalls and the, the, the difficulties uh, going from cash to a cashless society. And I think I made reference in the past that China has already unveiled a plan for a digital yuan on a trial basis. India said this week that it is in fact going to create a digital rupee. Uh, now the United States is weighing in on whether it wants to get into the digital currency game. And again, there's, A lot of research and writing that's been going on last month, the Federal Reserve released a much anticipated paper laying out the advantages and the disadvantages of a digital currency. Now, one of the things that I find interesting is if the United States of America and the Congress, if you will, votes to establish a digital currency. The question then becomes. What happens to the old currency? How is this currency valued? And if you come up with a digital currency, don't you have to come up with a digital wallet in order to accommodate the currency? And if you have a digital wallet and digital currency, don't you have to have every single human being has to have some sort of digital device in order to accommodate the digital dollar and the digital wallet, whether it's in a computer or on a smartphone? And don't you have to have an infrastructure in place for all of the banks and financial institutions? And, oh, by the way, does that mean that the banks and the financial institutions will have to conduct business with the digital currency? And, oh, by the way, what will happen to local trade and then global trade? and if china has its own digital currency and russia has its own digital currency and india has its own digital currency what about countries that don't have digital currency so again according to lawmakers the fed says it's taking its first step that he, that allegedly is supposed to be a kickstarter to have a conversation among policymakers and gather feedback from the average person um, in the country to the largest financial institutions. And what's interesting to me, again, is where will this road take us? And will this road take us to a place where all private transactions, and by private, I mean not government transactions? Um, that there's no government scrutiny. In other words, does this mean every single transaction with a government currency and a a government wallet would be scrutinized by the government and then assessed as being appropriate or inappropriate, criminal or non-criminal? And so it's all very, very interesting. By the way, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303 873 1935. So here's what we basically know. Policymakers are stressing, you know, that these are the early days, that there's a lot that needs to be hammered out, that the transactions conducted with digital dollars probably won't seem too different from existing private alternatives that allow us to pay for things by bringing our smartphones to the digital reader. China, of course, allows digital, Wan payments in the cities in which the country is piloting its digital c- currency, allowing citizens to make payments via an app set up by the government. But remember, this is the same government that's that's uh, conducting spying, that's imprisoning Uyghurs, and that's giving its citizens social credits or social demerits. And so what happens If a government issuing the digital currency and allowing them to make payments, what if they decide that they want to confiscate whatever digital money you have in your digital wallet? So people are trying to come up with reasons why this is a good idea, like reducing or diminishing fees uh, is one benefit. You might... Remember, in our cash-stressed culture during COVID-19, you probably went into banks where there's, they were where they said, we can't give you any small change. You might have went into businesses that asked you to pay with a credit card because it was too difficult to make payments or just to round up the dollar amount if you were going to insist on using cash. And so... When you make a contactless payment, it might seem immediate, but according to Chris Giancarlo, the former chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. He said, quote, my mobile device tells his mobile device to inform a whole series of banks to confirm that I am who I say that I am, that I have a certain amount of money in my account or bank, and that there's enough money to move from my bank to his bank. At each step of the way, there are transaction fees. And so in 2020, they added up to more than $110 billion in transaction fees. So where's this money coming from? Who's paying the fees? And how does it contribute to an increase or a decrease in um, the cost of goods and services? So it wouldn't necessarily entirely eliminate non-government players. In China, for example, users who want to use the digital one can go to banks to add money to their digital wallets. But just having a digital dollar in circulation could put pressure on credit card companies and payment processors to lower fees in order to be competitive. But there's so much behind this story. What would it mean if you woke up and this process was accelerated, and the government told you the dollar, as you understand it, is going to cease to exist, and everyone will be required to have digital dollars. Is that even a possibility? What do you think? 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci So glad you could join me on the program. The number 303 873 1935 303 873 1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. Let's see who's up. Monty, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks, Gino, for taking my call.
1: Hey, you're welcome.
2: I got a question. We did the book of uh, Revelation, the end times events, and I was wondering. Is there was any connection between the, you know, like the seven seals and the judgment trumpet blasts and the bowls of judgment, I was wondering if there's any connection or are there uh, totally separate events, a series of events?
1: Well, again, in, in a way, they're definitely connected. Um, I'm not sure, Monty, if you're familiar with like Russian nesting dolls where there's this great big doll and you take off its head and then there's another doll inside of it and there's another doll inside of it. And then there's another doll inside of it. Inside of it. <coughs> the book of revelation is like that where, um, when you talk about the trumpets, the, the bowls, the, um, the judgments, if you will, that are coming in the book of revelation. And so in the book of revelation, there's a series of judgments that begin with the with the, the you know the the breaking of the seal. seal and then as these so when you're talking about the relationship of the seals then they 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 talk about the antichrist rise to power the second seal is war the third one is famine the fourth is death the fifth deals with the martyrs the sixth is uh world chaos then when you get to uh, revelation chapter 7 um, you see trumpets and then vials, but they're all again, like the nesting doll. You begin with one and then you continue with once the seventh seal uh, ends, it introduces yet another series of judgments. These are seven trumpets and the trumpets were used to announce war or move the camp or announce the mm-hmm. feast. But as the the trumpets are blown in chapter eight, You see, the earth is the recipient of the judgment, the seas, the rivers, the heavens, mankind, uh, an army in the Euphrates, and then the nations in wrath. And then when you get to Revelation chapter 9, you see these horrors of an army from hell released, and scorpion-like creatures, and, and angelic beings released, and then announcements from angels, and then after that you have the testimony of the seventh judgment which talks a little bit about um the nations growing hostility and animosity and rebellion towards god and then when you get to revelation chapter 12 it talks about the woman the dragon heaven the wrath on earth and then in revelation 13 we find out more about the antichrist and the false prophet and then you have this panoramic view that begins to take place which culminates in the battle of armageddon and as so you can see they're all yeah. connected and and as they as it grows and grows and grows you have a devastation of such catastrophic proportions that Jesus himself said in the new testament that he's going to be surprised if anybody's alive when he gets back wow yeah it sounds Could-
2: Yeah, think about it.
1: We're close to 8 billion people. Now, again, if the events take place like in your lifetime, okay, imagine there's 8 billion people on the planet, and then there's 4 billion, and then there's 2 billion, and then there's less than a billion, and now there's less than 300 million. That's a lot of dead people.
2: Yeah, like the in the what was it Jezreel Valley is going to flow blood like
1: up to the bridles feet. up to the, yep. the 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 neck of a horse. And again, you know, I grew up on westerns. I loved watching Roy Rogers. I loved watching Bonanza and and uh, Do you remember Wagon Train? Yes, yes, <laughs> sure.
2: I love all those. You know.
1: So, yeah, this is a very, very uh, gut-wrenching thing that you're talking about. Yeah, and they are all related. So the way I would think about it is you have this series of judgments, and you go, we're done, right? No, we're just getting started.
2: Yeah, yeah. And then it just it seems really overlapping and, and things. And then you have, like, your hundred forty-four thousand. 000- so there will be some people that are saved and are believers, and
1: yeah, my own view is that the, the hundred. Yeah, my own view is that that hundred and forty-four thousand are. I'm going to use the term. They're like the apostle Paul; they get radically saved. These are Jewish people uh-huh. who understand that the Messiah the jewish messiah is jesus and they're going to embark on a global campaign of evangelism and as they're embarking on this global campaign of evangelism they're going to be met with resistance from this antichrist-like figure who's going to make every effort to kill each and every one of them
3: yeah.
2: Is that part of the group that's under the altar?
1: Well, in my own view, that there is a group of let's use the term saints. These are people who are saved, who are who go to the place of the righteous dead, and I suspect that in that place of the righteous dead, where Jesus is, that these are the saints that are that are told that are talked about in in the book of Revelation, who then. Um, begin to plead for justice now as they're pleading for justice it isn't because God is reluctant to give justice but rather there's they're motivated um, as, as they're pleading for 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 justice so yeah. the way that I would think about it is the 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 uh, the prayers or so there's two ways of thinking about it There's the prayers of the saints in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, and then there are the tribulation saints, which which you're alluding to. These are the people who are living during the tribulation, and that it's like we said, there's these judgments. And at the time of the persecution for the believers, the saints, because of the antichrist's persecution in Revelation 13, 7, Daniel the the prophet daniel in daniel chapter 7 verse 21 sees this antichrist figure waging war against the saints and defeating them now we we understand that this isn't an, an ultimate defeat because the 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 worst thing that happens to the believer if they're killed by somebody is they go to heaven so you know can you imagine if you got held up or someone threatens to kill you And you look at him with a smile and you say, are you serious? Are you my ticket to heaven? Are you the instrument that God has sent so that I can have my eternal reward? I know that's not the first thing that comes to our minds when somebody's waving a gun at us, but I've come to the realization that that's exactly What's going to happen? But my, my view is that the tribulation saints hear the gospel from a number of different sources, maybe the Bible, maybe there are copies of the Bible that are left in the world. God's judgment begins to fall. They read this Bible. They hear the gospel from the two witnesses. They see the 144,000 Jewish missionaries um, who are redeemed and sealed, and then they're killed. They're killed. So we see multitudes of tribulation saints who are saved from every corner of the world, and they wind up under that altar, crying out for justice. I hope that helps.
2: Wow. I wish I'd had a recorder on that one. Gino.
1: Hey, beautiful. <laughs> all you have to do is go to the podcast of the program. Oh, really? Yeah, just go to 94.7 FM, The Word, and hit Today's date. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Teresi. So glad you could join me. The number's 303-873-1935. Let's see if we can take some quick calls. Steve, welcome to the program. Hi, Steve. Uh, Hey, welcome. I'm here. Okay, welcome.
3: Hey, Gino, thanks for taking my call, man. Hey, you're welcome. So I got to say first that I'm not one of those that, I mean, I've I have been a believer for a long time. Haven't always been walking the walk, and I've been through Scripture almost daily. But I don't have that knack for being able to read and remember where I read it from. <laughs> but you know, I you know, I, <laughs> kudos to you and those that have got that gift to do that. Um, well, I thank God,
1: I thank God for people like you because even though I don't know you, I have this sneaking suspicion. That there is something that you have a knack for doing, and that you're really good at it.
3: Uh, well, I've been in the medical field all my life, so that's what God's called me to do. And <laughs> you know, I've been, I've been blessed to be at bedside with uh, some people that did not believe were not believers and accepted Christ before they passed. So that that in my life has been huge, and that's you know, no nothing to me. That's by the grace of God that I've been in that place at that time.
1: And thank God um, for the grace of God. <laughs>
3: And every yes, and and everything that you're, um, I'm hearing you say, um, there's no mystery for people that have got their eyes open, and those that are possibly listening out there is to you know to wake up and realize what's what's actually happening right now because there's everything in scripture has been pointed out and depicted and you know prophesized and it's everything has been coming to pass and is it will. You know, right. it's, it's, it, not a mis- it, it it's not is a mystery a... that – go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: Oh, what I was basically going to say, in this apocalyptic vision that John has in the book of Revelation, it falls into two categories. Things that have already happened, things that are ha- – well, three categories we might say. Things, right. things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that will happen. Right. And so obviously the Bible in broad categories fall into two categories – prophecies that have been made and fulfilled, and then prophecies that remain unfulfilled. And if the track record that we have in the Bible is correct, and we have every reason to believe that it is, the ones that remain unfulfilled will, in fact, happen.
3: Right. Well, it's in front of us. It is happening.
1: Well, and again, yeah, the Bible predicts that there will be a global government at some point when this man of sin right. arises, who this Antichrist figure. Right. And this Antichrist figure is going to create what some people have called a ten-nation confederacy that was seen in the image of Daniel's statue in Daniel chapter 2. And then he John goes on to describe this empire having power and authority in Revelation chapter 13, verse 2. And that... Right being followed and receiving worship. It says in chapter 13, verse 3, from all the world. And then it says right. in verse 7, having authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's that's pretty thorough. Right. And so in my view, is it a good idea to have a global government? No. No. Um, is it okay to resist a global government? Um, I think the answer is Yes. Will it manifest itself eventually? The answer is yes. But it's yes. okay, I think, for us to preach the gospel, point people to Jesus, and right. remind them. Totally. And then remind them that everything that the Bible has said about their salvation is true, and everything that the Bible says about the Earth's future is true.
3: <laughs> right. Well, our government has already tried to remove God from us. Right. You know, I I mean, I, this, this may be not too politically correct and i really don't care because i don't like the guy that's in office right now but um i i believe that everything that we've led towards government-wise has removed god from our our schools, our society and made that not politically correct and so it's you know and i'm trying to teach my kids, you know, you go with what this says, the scripture. Not right. not government and and speak your mind and if you believe in God and that's in your heart and the school is going to say you can't say God and you can't pray, then do it. Do it anyway. You know. Yeah. Do it. Do, do it anyway. As you could imagine,
1: then, there are forces of evil that are accelerating the process, and there right. are forces of good that are retarding the process.
2: <laughs> right. But,
1: but according to the Bible, yeah. it says today is the day. God has given us in grace this day, we rejoice Good. in this day, and we thank God that we have an opportunity to preach the gospel one more day.
3: Pre- preach the gospel and serve Him. And they've and we've already had, um, you were speaking with this gentleman before me about losing your life, and Scripture depicts that you will be turned away. Your family, your friends, society will turn you away because of your belief. And I, I when you were talking about that, I thought of this young lady that was... Uh, one of the Columbine victims, and this kid with the gun pointed to her head and asked do you believe in God? And she did not hesitate. She said yes, and he shot her. She gave her life for God, for Christ. And it it says in Scripture, this is going to happen.
1: And the testimony of the saints in every generation continue. Hey, thank you for your call, Steve. <laughs> this is Gino Dracy, 303-873-1935. I got to go. Hey, um, how much time do I have, Jim? S- uh, Scott, welcome to the program. Gino. Hey, Scott.
0: Hey, I, uh, I sent you a text um, to give you some, some background. We're talking about the same person I was looking forward to going through, the test of salvation that um, Paul suggests in, I think, 2 Corinthians, and one way— to do it you taught me is to go to the book of first john and turn the verses into questions and ask the holy spirit each question am i saved and i did that and i got a great answer i've done it with others including the mama and we got great results and they're they're for sure for sure that they're saved this one uh tried to go through it on her own i guess and she got to first john chapter 4, verses 18, perfect love drives out all fear, and she's she's a new Christian, couple months, and she's being uh, tormented with, with lies from the enemy, that she's going to be punished by God and sent to hell well, for the it, mistakes and sins that she's made.
1: Right, and so here's the key, the, there's two keys to, to, to what this person's going through, and at least in my view, how to address it. In 1 John 4, verse 18, which you just mentioned, when it says perfect love casts out fear, the whole verse says there is no fear in love, but love that's made complete or perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Now, the context is important. In verse 17... It says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. So in this world, we are like Jesus. So the fear, this is important, Scott, the fear that the text is talking about isn't any and all anxiety or concern or fear. It's the fear of God's judgment. And so here's, here's what I would point out to her. I would say, hey, you know what? We know that a judgment day is coming, but those who know and love the Lord don't have to fear that judgment. And that's when you remind her of what the Bible says about assurance. Now, again, in, in the issue of uh, of assurance, where you, where you just very patiently and lovingly and consistently take her back and and you say hey look remember remember in first john chapter 5 verse 11 this is the testimony that god has given us eternal life so how do you have assurance of salvation it isn't the presence or the absence of anxiety or or fear in your heart but rather remember this is the testimony and you remind her in order to to be to give testimony you have to, ha- to have a reputation for telling the truth you have to be honest and and uh and so, so it's saying God has given us eternal life. This is God's testimony. If you don't mind holding, I hate to have you hold so long, but... No, no, that's okay, because I've got another follow-on question. Thank you, Gino. Okay, okay, hold hold on, and I'll finish this this up if you can, okay? This is Gino Tracy. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program talking with Scott about a friend who um, wonders whether or not the presence of fear means the absence of salvation. Hey, hey Scott, are you still there? Yes. So I wanted—you're I wanted, very familiar with this passage, but I want to remind you of some things about it that you should be able to share with her. Remember, in 1 John five eleven it says, this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, not temporal life, and this life is in his Son. And, and if you think about that passage, it doesn't say, and this life is, well, it's in his Son, and it's also if there's the absence of fear in your heart. That's not what the passage is saying. He's given us eternal life, not temporary life, not uh, probationary life. And it says, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. So he's she so he writes I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God. And I would ask her once again do you believe in the name of the son of God that that Jesus you 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 know the rest and and the gospel and what all that means. He, so he says so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now again That word "no" means no with certainty, right? So who is it? Let me ask you. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, let me ask you this question: Is when I read eighteen, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. That reminds me of the tool you taught me, First John one nine. If we confess our sins, uh, to God, He's faithful and true to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Right. His truth. His truth drives the lies out, drives the fear out. It, it could, could could this be the second part of that tool? I think you're saved, you're afraid, you got spiritual warfare, do first John one nine.
1: And I would add something else. We would do first John one nine, but for this particular person under this particular circumstance, I would say this. And again, not to be fearful. The person without Christ is under judgment and has a lot to fear, but once a person is in Christ, what we have to ask and answer is, how do we, like you said, cleanse this idea of the fear of judgment? Part of what I would add is Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Remember, the condemnation is the judicial pronouncement of guilt for crimes or sins committed. But whatever crime or sin that's been committed, it doesn't apply to people who are in Christ Jesus. Their sins have been forgiven. Back to First John one nine. There's a relationship between Romans eight one right. and First John uh, one nine. So part of the understanding of the love of God is knowing. That that judgment, remember the the terrifying judgment, the feelings of terrifying judgment that she's experiencing, those fell on Jesus at the cross so that she could be spared. Isaiah fifty three six, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He laid it on him. You know
0: that, right? So she's a new Christian, right? It's it's expected that she would be uh, under spiritual warfare right uh, the enemy throwing lies in her head which is going to cause fear and so that doesn't mean she's not saved it just means she continues to she needs to continue to study the word and be washed with the water of the word wash the lies out of her head she needs to continue to lose to use the tools first John 1 9 full armor of God Ephesians 6 and then uh-huh. just hang in there until uh, she has some victories and some breakthroughs, right?
1: In, including Romans chapter eight. So all of Romans chapter eight, I would now put on the, the laundry list of things to do, because remember, remember, here's her, here's part of her anxiety. She's been like you use the expression, "the lies in her head." She has a lie in her head that there is something that can separate the believer from the love of God, fear. But remember, Romans right. eight. Verses thirty eight right. and thirty-nine. There's nothing. Right. There's nothing. Right. Is this terrifying anxiety of this is this crippling worry and anxiety is it sufficient to separate her from the love of God? And here's what you say to her God's love doesn't wax and wane. Based on how you're feeling about yourself or your emotional circumstances, God's love for sinners is why Jesus died on the cross for sinners. God's love for those who trust in Jesus is why he holds them in his hand and he promises never to let go. that's John chapter 10 verse twenty nine so those are right. a couple so, of things that I would add so she so I, I need to
0: convince her that it's not a realistic expectation that two months into salvation, that God's going to bind up the enemy, make him go away, and she's going to be yippy-skippy. She's going to have to fight her way through this?
1: Well, I would tell her what Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. He says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. This, he said a spirit of fearfulness and timidity doesn't come from God. So this spirit of fear does it come from somewhere. So we're willing to acknowledge we're – not, we're not here to tell her she's not afraid or that somehow her very real feelings are not real. We're here to tell her, hey, I'm not here to dismiss your feelings. What I am here right. to tell you is that that feeling and that some feelings aren't indicative of everything that's happening. And so when it, since God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and a sound mind, this must be coming from some other source. Right.
0: So so she needs to hang in there. Yes. Uh, stay stay close to save friends. Go to church. Listen to uh, the Bible. Read the Bible. Just continue to fight her way through this.
1: Well, and I think you've hit the nail on the head. As a child of God... <clears throat> As a child of God, is it possible that we could still still fear God's punishment? Yeah, because like you said, we're, we're still in a process of growth and a maturation in love. To help us be complete in love, God has given us encouragement against fear throughout the Bible. And that goes back to what you are also know, Scott, about the 365 fear knots in the bible. <laughs> right.
0: Right. <laughs> right. So the the truth from Scott doesn't set anybody free. The truth from God, the logos, the rhema going through the holy spirit using the tools, she needs to hear directly from God for the for her to be cleansed of all unrighteousness, for the lies to be washed out of her head which will straighten out her emotions,
1: correct? I think so, because I think the key to overcoming fear isn't necessarily believing what Gino says or Scott. The key to overcoming fear is total and complete trust in the Lord, and that's why the stories in the Bible are so important. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they face the fiery furnace without fear. Stephen stands before his killers fearlessly. So to trust in God, that doesn't mean, you know, if a person puts a gun to your head your your pulse goes up there's a physiological response you know we are hum- we're men of men and women of clay made of with feet of clay so right. we're not suggesting that we don't live in a broken world and that there are some things that really are pretty terrifying right. but we make the decision that we're not going to be af- afraid of things that come against. Right. So Shadrach,
0: Meshach and Abednego and Stephen and others. Right. They had some they had some spiritual maturity. She's going to have to grow through that by exactly. participating with the Holy Spirit in the sanctification process and the way you do that is you stay in the word, reading the word, hearing the word, doing the word.
1: Exactly. That word perfect in 1st John 4:18 means complete mature. Okay. It's the kind of complete and mature maturity that that disconnects from selfishness and connects to selflessness
0: and in the meantime stay close to other Christians um, stay close to um, friendship fellowship in Christ yeah that's right that's right because she feels she feels alone she feels disconnected and just like your previous caller said uh, the Christ-rejecting, sinful world—people are rejecting her. Exactly.
1: And God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through Jesus. So, All
0: right. Thank you, Gino. That's helpful.
1: You are welcome. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions.